0: The Start On Demand. demand. Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry is off for the week. Mm. So uh, pilot and co-pilot change here. (laughs) Always miss Brett and his ability to direct things. Brett, enjoy the next handful of days off. What else can we say? But this is like Sports Monday on the start today. So many incredible sports stories right at the top of the list three curling championships for Manitoba-based teams this weekend.
1: We woke up to the news Saturday morning, and unless you watched it at 1 a.m. overnight, that the Altona team had won the gold medal world championship for juniors in women. And then, of course, that was after the men had already won, who are from Manitoba, from the Assiniboine Memorial Club. And then Saturday night, we had, so that's the curling. You're thinking, okay, great. Then Saturday night, you realize Manitoba is going to move on to the gold medal final at the Scotties. And while that's happening, there's this game going on in Toronto, which I normally wouldn't have cared about, quite frankly, the Leafs versus Carolina Hurricanes, until somebody at our curling club mentions where we're watching the game, uh, they just had to pull in the emergency backup goalie, which is a guy who just sits there waiting just in case uh, goalies for both teams go down, and he gets put in,
0: puts the pads on. Game's 3-3. Three, three. And he wins the game. And he wins the game. They were actually up 3-1 when he went in. Yes. He gave up two goals on his first two shots and made eight saves in the third period. And Carolina Hurricanes defeated the Toronto Maple Leafs 6-3. And, of course, Leaf Nation is absolutely up in arms over sure. the fact that they... Couldn't
1: have happened against a better team. Well, I, say. I
0: think a lot of people feel that way, Loren. <laughs> and then last night, Kerry Anersen... Uh, She led basically the entire way last night, had an opportunity to close out her championship match against Rachel Holman of Ontario on the last rock of the 10th end. She slides through the house. Ontario steals two. Anderson composes herself and is in in the extra end, becomes champion of Canada. So congratulations to all our curling champions. We'll hear from and or visit with all of them at some point this morning. Uh, Jacques Gauthier and uh, the Zacharias crew all got home just after midnight and our own Diana Foxall was there. We'll talk to Diana in just a few moments with some sounds from James Richardson International Airport. Yeah,
1: Diana working the overnight shift for a pretty cool assignment. I, I, she sounds like there was a big crowd there at midnight to welcome the double gold World Junior Curling Champions home. So she'll share some of that sound and excitement with us at 6.15. We've got the skip in the second from Manitoba's now national championship team from the Scotties coming on with us at 8.30. We've got a backup goalie who plays backup goalie here in Winnipeg joining us also this morning. And then, of course, there are a lot of things to discuss on a more serious front, Greg. We've uh, been waiting to hear if the OPP are going to actually move some of these protesters off a rail line in Ontario. And, of course, we've been waiting for action on that for two weeks now. But the OPP and CN gave these protesters a sort of deadline of midnight today that's come and gone, basically saying at midnight, we will, if you aren't off the land by midnight... We're coming in. But more importantly, they were trying to give them a chance to say, if you go now, we won't press charges. There'll be no charges laid if you're off the CN line near Belleville, Ontario at midnight. Nobody moved. And so we've got a reporter who also did an overnight shift in the Belleville, Ontario area waiting to see. If police would actually go in and do anything about this, because that's impacting uh, developments and all sorts of different kind of resource developments right across the country.
0: Yeah, And of course, last night, in case you missed it, and I didn't get this news until I didn't comprehend what was going on until about 20 minutes before we came on the air. We'd been waiting for an announcement from the federal government whether or not they would approve a gigantic oil sands development in Alberta. We were anticipating uh, an announcement about that either today or tomorrow, late yesterday, some agreement from first nations and the resource company who were developing this giant mine. And then last night, a very surprising announcement, I would say.
1: Yeah, tech industries, sorry, and I've got the name wrong there. It's tech.
0: Tech resources. resources. Yeah.
1: They've uh, put, decided to pull out of this project. They put it in a statement saying that it was largely due to the fact that Canada doesn't have a framework when it comes to climate change development and, and how to best use the land and have agreements with different governments and jurisdictions and First Nations communities. Jason Kennedy, who's the premier of Alberta, I'm going to read you some of his statement after 6.30. He basically summed it up more on the idea that there's all sorts of inaction on pipelines. Governments aren't making decisions quickly enough on pipelines. They aren't making decisions quickly enough on these blockades. Therefore, there's all sorts of uncertainty in the resource development area. And companies are going to look to Canada in his mind and pull out and say, no, thanks. We don't want to come there because there's there's no rules in place. It's lawlessness as Jason Kennedy put it. And so there's lots of questions being raised this morning about that and whether there'll be other impacts down the road because that was some 7,000 jobs being promised to Alberta, I think $70 billion to in tax revenue for the Canadian economy that just went away. It's gone.
0: I wonder if this is a, a tactic by Tech Resources to have the government, to have First Nations, to have a bunch of people come hat in hand and say, not necessarily give them money, but say, you know what, please reconsider. It would be a great way to go about this in my mind, would be to say, we're pulling out, here are the reasons, we're not going to do this. And as opposed to having to fight tooth and nail to have it approved, have some levels of government say, you know what, we really want this to go ahead.
1: Including First Nations communities, because they had been part of that signing agreement yesterday, and now are learning this morning that the jobs that would have benefited All sorts of different communities in Alberta are potentially gone.
0: Greg and Loren with you. Brett's back next Monday, enjoying a week off. Loren, what's happening at globalnews.ca?
1: Yeah, watching a live stream right now of Ontario Provincial Police moving in on protesters who have been on that rail line near Belleville, Ontario, for well over two weeks now. There's just a line of OPP officers right now standing there facing off, if you will, against the protesters. But it looks peaceful at this moment. We've heard reports of some arrests. Those are not confirmed right now. All we know is that the OPP are preparing to take action to try and put an end to this blockade. We'll get more after eight.
0: Absolutely. And uh, the biggest story in sports outside of curling mm-hmm. in Manitoba for Manitobans across the country was that of David Ayers. He's an e-bug. An e-bug is an emergency backup goalie. And Ayers is a 42-year-old Zamboni driver for the AHL's Toronto Marlies. He practic- practices with the Marlies most uh, practice days for them. He was forced to be Carolina's emergency goalie in a different sense. He got on the ice against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that does not happen very often, and he becomes the first e-bug to ever post an official win in the National Hockey League. Ayers came into the game in the second period after injuries to regular netminers James Reimer and Peter Mrazic. He was named the game's first star and got us wondering, who are the e-bugs in Winnipeg? Emergency backup goalie Byron Spriggs joins us now. He is the goalie coach for the University of Manitoba men's Bison hockey team. Good morning, Byron. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I want to know what was going through your mind when you saw what was going on Saturday in Toronto. You know
2: what? It's crazy. It, it, I every time you know whether something happens in Winnipeg or around the hockey league, I, I somehow managed to get. Texts and calls from people going, "Oh man, can you imagine if that was you?" It's kind of as if they're just kind of rubbing it in my face a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but obviously, you have to have imagined that scenario. I mean, we we were playing clips earl- earlier from him where he, you know, he's in the room watching the game, and suddenly someone walks in and's like, "Get the pads on! You're heading out there. We need you." What would you like, have you thought about that moment?
2: Oh yeah, well, I've, I've had the opportunity to put on my gear twice actually, um, but never. Like I said, had had anyone you know given me that call before, and props to David for for going in there with such poise and you know being able to play the way he did and, and get credit with the with the win, which is amazing at you know at any stage and, and especially the NHL, it's it's unbelievable and. <laughs> I'm so, so happy for him, honestly.
1: I didn't even know this was a thing until a few years ago when Global News did a story on it, and I, and I think it catches a lot of people by surprise. So for the uninitiated, for those who don't know, what is the emergency backup goalie? What's your job on a game night in Winnipeg?
2: So the way it works is we show up about a half hour before the game. Uh, we park in the kind of on the loading ramp there uh, where the teams would kind of back their buses down, and we have our gear in the car just in case. And, you know, 99.99% of the time, you just go up there and you watch the game. And, you know, if anything happens, you do have your gear there. Um, Someone will come and get you and you'll get ushered down and get dressed. And at the, you know, 0.0001% chance that the other goalie goes down too, then you'll actually have to go in the game. But for the most part, it's just sitting in the press box and, and watching a game and, and potentially getting one of the biggest calls of your life.
0: No kidding. Now, when's the last time you had to strap the pads on, and uh, what number did they give you?
2: So I was uh, at the Colorado Avalanche game against the Jets. I can't remember. I think it was four months ago, maybe. Uh, it was in November, I think. Um, and, and yeah, you think I'd remember that a little bit better. But, but yeah, it was in, it was in November, I believe. And um, Frank Coos went down when, when Shifley ran into him kind of, Honestly, it was like 30 seconds into the game, and immediately one of the representatives from the Avalanche came and got me. I grabbed my gear, I put it on, um, just kind of in a room outside uh, the Avalanche dressing room, and I was given number 60. So I considered switching to a right-handed catching mitt like uh, Jose Theodore, but uh, <laughs> but no, it was it was great. Uh, all the guys were super friendly, and you know, it's a very intimidating experience. You know, let alone getting in the actual game. Um, but just being there and being a part of it was really cool. And all the guys made me feel like a part of the team, you know, for the you know hour and a half that I was there. And it was, it was really cool.
1: I have to ask, because as exciting as that moment would be, is there a small part of you that's a little bit sick to your stomach? Because as well-practiced as you are, you, you haven't faced off against, you know, those kinds of shots, the speed, all those kinds of things. So totally. part of you might be thinking, I, do I really want to be doing this?
2: Oh, that's that is the thing. It is like the biggest Jekyll and Hyde situation going going on inside your body. Half of you is like, "Holy crap, this could be your moment." Half of you is like, "Oh my god, get out of here!" You know, like when, when you go get your gear, half of you wants to just get in the car and drive away, you know, <laughs> and not come back. But you know, the other half of you is like, "Man, this could just be." You know, one of the most amazing experiences of your life. And, you know, it showed that way for obviously for Scott Foster in Chicago and then obviously for David Ayers last night. Um, so just like I said, props to them. And, and uh, you know, everyone that I talk to loves the fact that, you know, it's people that they know and it's local guys. And, they're you know, they have their, you know, few hours to shine. And, and it's awesome. I love the program.
0: No Spriggs 60 Avalanche t-shirts on the Colorado Avalanche uh, website as far as I know, Byron. But the fact that the uh, Hurricanes are welcoming heirs to their game tomorrow night against Dallas and our marketing t-shirts and with his name on it, absolutely spectacular. Thanks for uh, letting us behind the curtain a little bit, Byron.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having
1: me. I have one last question quickly. we got like 10 sure. seconds. You're not paid for yeah. this though, right? It's just a volunteer... No.
2: Yeah, it's a volunteer unless you step on the ice, and I think there's some sort of provision that works if you actually get on the ice. So I don't know what, if David ayer got anything or not, but you know what? I, I'll do it for free any night. Other <laughs> than
1: that, you get some hot dogs and you watch the hockey game.
2: Exactly. get a little bit of a meal and you get to watch the game with some popcorn. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: All right, Byron. Thanks again. Byron Spriggs, he is the goaltender coach for the University of Manitoba men's hockey team. He's also one of the emergency backup goalies here in Winnipeg. start this hour, Ontario Provincial Police have started to move on protesters holding a blockade on a railway in Tyendinaga, Mohawk Territory. That's in Ontario, hours after a deadline, calling for them to clear the area expired. The blockade near Belleville has been in place for nearly three weeks as a show of support for the hereditary chiefs at the Wet'suwet'en Nation who oppose the construction of a massive natural gas pipeline on their territory, uh, traditional territory in northern British Columbia. The offer that was put in the original letter, um, Stan is not looking to go down that, that avenue and, and pursue charges if you vacate the entire area tonight before midnight. Now we have a report of two arrests at the scene. Loren McNabb just getting off the phone with Global National Reporter Camille Caramelli, who is on the scene. If you'd like to see what's going on, you can go to globalnews.ca. About two dozen police officers, OPP, on the scene to, I don't know if I would use the word confront, but certainly face-to-face with these protesters. And as mentioned, we have a report of two arrests to this point. Loren is just putting the finishing touches on editing our conversation with Camille. That just took place in the last 10 minutes, so it's about as up-to-date as we're going to get in terms of information from the scene. And Camille uh, also telling us that The appearance of OPP and the police surprised him and the collected media on the scene. They're on a gravel road, and all of a sudden, these vehicles started showing up with lights flashing. And uh, then, of course, the OPP coming out of those vehicles. Loren?
1: Just got off the phone with Camille Caramelli now in terms of what he's been seeing unfold here. uh, And start with the first question I just had moments ago. Uh, We're watching this unfold on the live stream, globalnews.ca. What are you seeing on the ground in terms of the number of officers that are there and whether or not there is any action taking place at this point?
3: Oh, well, uh, lots of action, to say the least. Uh, You know, I mean, the thing is, we've been watching this blockade happen since February 6th uh, here in Tallinnaga just east of Belleville, Ontario, here. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty quiet morning. Uh, just to give you a bit of background, uh, police here in, uh, in Tiendenegra had given an 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time deadline for these protesters to uh, dismantle their camp here. Uh, which is close to the tracks, which has been halting uh, a lot of trains, uh, which carry passengers, as well as uh, goods, uh, pretty much halting a big chunk of the economy here and affecting lots of businesses. And now, uh, you know, eight hours after that initial deadline came and went, we saw just a barrage of police officers making their way down here. It caught all of us off guard because it seemed like uh, according to a statement by the Mohawk people of Kahnawake, that uh, they were trying to discuss things and come to a peaceful resolution behind closed doors with Minister Mark Miller, uh, as well as an OPP liaison officer. That's the latest we heard, but apparently those talks didn't go as well as uh, they thought, because uh, all of a sudden we just saw... Uh, uh, just a flurry of activity and just it's a small gravel road that leads up to this uh, railway track here and we just saw all these vehicles and flashing lights start making their way down here I would guess uh, maybe a couple of dozen police officers we've also seen paramedics here and we also saw a couple at least two protesters being taken away in handcuffs now that 11 59 deadline would have given protesters immunity according to police if they had Torn down their camps and left uh, protesters had left the area by eleven fifty nine or before eleven fifty nine they would have gotten immunity, which means no arrest and no charges being laid but now we've seen two protesters being taken away in handcuffs and it's still a very tense situation uh, for a while they were just both standing there both sides were standing there to see which Side would blink first, and uh, it looks like police are starting to make arrests and are working on dismantling this uh, camp that has not allowed trains to go through this area through this really key corridor. Uh, rail corridors here in Ontario for weeks now. So,
1: Camille, we've got two arrests at this point that we know of. So are you seeing the police actually dismantle? You're talking about that they're going to do that, but is there um, movement on that front? Or do the, are the protesters, the rest of them, still kind of standing ground? It looks like on the live stream it's a bit of a, I don't want to say a standoff, but they're just facing each other at this point. Is there a lot of movement in terms of those protesters leaving willingly or being taken away?
3: So, I mean, even just to our dealings with uh, the people here and the protesters here along this uh, railway corridor has been uh, very, very polar opposites. There have been some more aggressive uh, protesters, but there have also been some very calm, nice, polite protesters as well. And uh, not, not assuming that it was the more aggressive ones that were uh, arrested, but uh, we know that... Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, there has been a conversation that's been taking place here as well. So it looks like police are trying to or, or both sides are trying to come to a peaceful resolution to this. We are being pushed back, so we don't know what exactly is being said. But uh, I think standoff is exactly how you describe it, because uh, both sides are just waiting to see uh, what the other one's going to do to see what move they should do. And I should also mention that we've also heard a lot of rumblings prior to uh, police kind of coming down on this area that when the initial deadline was given and uh, Trudeau uh, made his points on Friday about these blockades coming down, that a lot of supporters jumped online saying, look, if it comes down to some sort of conflict or uh, some sort of altercation that we're going to step in and support um, the the protesters. So we haven't seen any uh, uh, protest supporters come down quite yet, but uh, it looks like we you, we were seeing just a small number of protesters uh, here and there uh, in the past week, and now that number seems to have grown as well. So it looks like uh, maybe some people that weren't here at the camp before are also making their way here to stand in solidarity uh, with these uh, protesters here in Tyendinaga.
1: Global's Camille Karamali joining us from Belleville, Ontario. You can watch that live stream globalnews.ca of OPP officers moving in on that blockade. Will it come down? Will this make an impact? Where will this go? We'll keep you posted right here on CGOB.
0: All right, to start this half hour, though, we're going to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and our national champions joining us now, two of Carrie Anerson's now Scotty's champion team joining us now, second, Shannon Burchard, and the skip, Carrie Anerson. How's that sound, ladies? That sounds amazing. <laughs> Congra- yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Have you been to sleep yet? Um, uh, maybe two
4: hours. Yeah, it's been a really short sleep. Hard <laughs> to sleep when you're so excited and
1: uh, and thrilled, and and we uh, definitely celebrated with our families last night. So
4: yeah, that's marvelous.
1: Shannon, is there a moment that's been playing through your head since that win? Is there one shot that you're seeing, or one particular moment where you just it keeps uh, getting that uh, get gets the blood rising again and the excitement going? Yeah, I mean um,
4: that uh, little tap, tick, or whatever you would call it for two. I guess that was uh, the sixth end was huge. That gave us a a nice lead and and, uh, helped us really um, kind of control the rest of the game. And then, of course, uh, Carrie's last one in the the extra end. Uh, I mean, I just know that my heart was pounding. I couldn't even hear anything. And (laughs) I uh, yeah, we just didn't want to mess up the sweep because as soon as she let go of that rock, we knew it was really close.
0: Well, uh, Shannon, you make a great point, Carrie, that shot you made in the sixth end, the amazing touch that you just had to nudge that rock about three, four inches. You did it so beautifully. And then you go to that that final shot. And I don't want to harp on the, the miss in the tent because, <laughs> I mean, you're going to be replaying that in your head. How do you have the fortitude to calm yourself down, and then 11 minutes later, you're essentially in the exact same situation. You need to draw the forefoot for the win. How, how do you calm yourself and put yourself in that headspace that, yeah, I'm going to make it this time?
5: Um, I just uh, took my time and uh, sat in the hack and just rehearsed all the, the things that I would say to myself, just slowing it down and taking a deep breath. And um, just really bringing my sweepers into play on that shot instead of just throwing it there and hoping that it stops. So um, yeah, I just um, I had thrown that path earlier in the game, so I knew how it would run. and uh, yeah, the ladies judged it great, and Val called the line great, and they got it there
0: for me. Russ Howard likes to use the terminology great team shot. Would you call that yes. a team shot, your your, your game-winning one last night?
5: Yeah, like from all the, the triples, the doubles that I've had to play in the last two games, I would say um, doing a draw to the button for the win is something that um, I've always envisioned. And um, I think, uh, yeah, it's always having a team shot is uh, absolutely an amazing way to win.
1: It's uh, it's something you've probably envisioned many times. And, and Shannon, I want to go past this victory because it's not just about the Canadian Championship. There's so much more that comes with this win. There's a, a chance for the Olympic trials, There's and there's more money. It's not just about the trophy at the end of the day. What does this mean in terms of the bigger picture for your future? It's so huge. I mean, we
4: kind of laughed because
1: um, as a team, we, don't,
4: we almost forgotten that we thought uh, a trial spot through that win um, we didn't realize until a couple, like an hour or so after the game and um, I mean it's just so phenomenal I mean the, the equal the equal uh, prize money this year is, is huge for, for women's curling and um, I mean it's just the Scotty's trophy itself is probably the biggest prize just because of the tradition and, and what it means to anybody that curls um, but all the extra bonuses are just so amazing and fantastic, and and the, we can't thank the sponsors of this event enough. If-
0: amazing. Shannon, obviously now your second Canadian championship and, and Carrie, you made a bold move to reconfigure your team mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. What can you say about Brienne Mayer and Val Sweeting and, and the contributions of, of those two ladies? They were absolutely incredible. Uh, Val, what a, uh, is she a calming force on, on the team? Uh, tell us a little bit more about Val Sweeting and uh, the contributions that she's made uh, to your rink.
4: Uh, yeah,
5: both of them have uh, really been amazing teammates, and um, they Val's been in this situation before, so she knows um, how to handle it, and, and how to um, move forward after a miss shot, or whatever it is, and um, uh, Val has been an amazing third, um, I'm so lucky to have her, uh, she is so calming, and if I'm not sure, or questioning my ice, um, she's... Always there to reinsure me. And Brianne, she's just such an amazing um sweeper and she has really worked hard at her game and she really sets up our ends for us.
1: I know I'm not the only fan watching curling who overanalyzes every situation and facial expressions and all the rest, but there seemed to be something different with your team this week, Carrie, and even just the way you were carrying yourself. Did it feel different the whole way through in terms of what you knew you were there to do, but what you Honestly, it seemed like you felt like you were going to get there. It seemed like there was no doubt in your mind that you were going all your all the way for the championship here.
5: Yeah, I think we, as soon as we stepped out there, we all felt super confident. And we knew there was a job to do and that we were there to, uh, to play well and to get into that championship round and then get to the final. And uh, we worked really hard all week to
0: to get where we are. Shannon, how about this for some trivia? Our friend Joe Pascucci used to be a colleague of ours at Global Television. Carrie Anderson is the first Manitoba skip, not named Connie Laliberti or Jennifer Jones, to lead her mm-hmm. team to the Scotties Championship since Kathy Bizarko in 1978. Lead on that team. Do you know who the lead was, Shannon? Um, <laughs> I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. It's your coach. I thought
4: it was going to (laughs) be Patty.
0: She was like, she was a lead? She was correct. She was Patty (laughs) Evander Kirkov then. And of course she's now Patty Wurtrick, your, your coach. So just talk about the work you've done with Patty, uh, over the last little bit up in Gimli.
4: Um, Patty's just so phenomenal. Um, we didn't start off this season having on board. Um, we, and we really missed her. So we asked her to come back, um, for Provincials, so obviously winning Provincials, she had to come with us to Nationals, and then um, she's coming with us to Worlds, so uh, we couldn't be more thrilled. She's really, uh, She really helps us um, stay accountable to um, each other and to ourselves, um, to really follow our process, pay attention to the small things, um, and she's just, She's great comic relief out there when we need to laugh and, and uh, need to lighten things up. We, so we really appreciate having it on our team. It's
1: always great to have. I, I got a text from a friend just now who's listening to this interview talking about how they felt last night watching the game. Said they couldn't watch in the 10th, cried in the 11th, loved your emotion. I'm guessing you felt kind of the same way with those ups and downs last night, but you you ended it all in a high and it has to feel good. Oh, yeah, it definitely, definitely feels
5: nice. um, amazing. <laughs>
0: Kerry Anderson, Shannon Birchard, thank you so much for making some time for us. Congratulations on your Scotties Championship! Now, of course, the World Championship taking place in Prince George, BC, which is a lovely place. The men are going to Scotland, oh. uh, but uh, I don't think it <laughs> matters. You could be playing this uh, just about anywhere. I think you'd be fine with it. Yeah, yeah.
4: I I agree. There's nothing I like. <laughs> Sorry,
0: <laughs> that's okay. I, I should have directed it to one of, or the <laughs> other of you, but that's all good. Uh, Carrie, thank you. Thank you so and, much. Uh, love to you the uh, and and the twins. I've got twins as well, so uh, we oh, nice. we cheer we cheer extra hard for you in our house because of that. And Shannon, congratulations on your second championship. Just wonderful. We'll see you soon.
4: Thank you so much.
0: You do that too when you're looking for stuff. Da, 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 da. Where is it? Da, da, da. Uh, in your mind? <laughs> yeah, usually in my mind, but I said it out loud. and On the air just now, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb missing Brett McGarry badly on a Monday morning. 8.51. We've been celebrating the champions of curling that our province has created. Uh What an incredible 72 hours for Manitoba curling. But hockey, of course, is the sport of record in our country. Our official winter sport is hockey. And the Winnipeg Ice, brand new on the scene this year, doing some incredible things on the ice. And Loren, they're going to be doing some special things off the ice Mm. for next season.
1: And joining us now is General Manager Matt Cockle in studio with us. Uh, It's been, you know, when teams have a first year, you expect... You just want you just want things to kind of get going and then you'll worry about all the other things in the second year but this season has been incredible for you guys both both on and off the ice as as Greg just said
6: yeah it's been uh... well first thanks for uh, having me here it's always fun to talk about what we're what we're doing and um, you know you guys are such great partners in, in helping us uh, you know both in our our broadcast of course, and then uh with so many other things as it relates to to just getting going and getting uh the message out and we're excited to talk about all the great things that have been happening i you know we were just talking before we went on air at the you know three months and you know renovation get everything off and running, get all the players organized hockey ops um you know it came quick, and we're now having an opportunity to you know, properly get ourselves uh, settled. We've learned a lot this year and we're just uh, so excited about uh, what we've kind of settled on in terms of our uh, long-term strategy moving forward for, uh, is, uh, we'll say season C holders, but really I think what we've learned is uh, we just have so much uh, freedom and freestyle Um, accessibility and convenience, and that's what people are really uh, excited about. And so we've uh, completely changed uh, our business model uh, moving forward, and I think everyone's going to be really excited about it.
0: So tell me how you're going about this, Matt, because I know uh, more than a handful of people who have shown up at Wayne Fleming Arena for an ice game and have been disappointed because you guys are sold out. So a great way to make sure that doesn't happen to you is to have tickets in advance. How are you going to how are you crafting this in terms of a change to the season seat holder, a season pass holder?
6: Well I think that the biggest hang up uh one one we have a we have a a, a very fun energetic uh crowd at our games which which we 're really enjoying we 're in a temporary uh, environment right now, so it is um, in terms of seating, it holds uh, 1,621, and as you mentioned, many nights it's exactly that number, so um, which is great. It's a great atmosphere and up close, and I know the players really enjoy all the energy. Um, what we've decided to do is really address a couple things that uh, we hear over and over, and that's uh, you know to be a season C holder, it's a big commitment. It's 34 nights a year. Do I have to come every every night? And I know myself, having uh, three young children, uh, some some games are a lot. Of easier to get to than others, um, but but the affordability part, you want to make sure um, is there for folks as well. So what we've done is created what we're calling a full uh, season access pass. It's it's new. It's, I don't think, been done in the Washington Hockey League or uh, um, that I'm aware of any uh, any sport uh, in, in Canada in terms of uh, the space that we play in, and essentially for $499, less than $15 a game, um, an adult can have a full season access pass uh, for next season, it guarantees you access into every game. Um, if, it's a freestyle type of seating environment, so if you want to sit in a specific seat, you can book that 30 days in advance. If you want to use 10 tickets to one game, bring a bunch of friends, uh, maybe it's a, a business that wants to host a whole sorts, sor- sorts of folks, you could use all 34 to one game or come every game if you want, so it's completely flexible and convenient. And then, and then on top of that, we've uh, we, we want as many kids to come as possible. So we have an under twelve uh, access pass for kids, which is ninety nine dollars, and it's under three dollars a game. I mean, it really is. Um, I think the next level of affordability and and fun. And um, well, the math
1: works out to thirty five dollars per family of four for a family
6: of four for which is pretty
1: incredible to have a family of four be able to go to a game for 35 bucks and then have that flexibility and there's even you're even added and i don't know if i've seen this anywhere in any sport having this kind of flex pass but you're also allowing seat selection which is also a thing if you're bringing people to a game you want to figure out if you're going to be able to sit together and all the rest
6: yeah, if you're last minute and just want to come, you know you're going to get in. And if you're bringing um, a bunch of people with you and you want to sit in a certain spot or try a different spot the next game, uh, 30 days in advance, you can go online to winnipegice.ca, log into your account, and you can select a seat so you know exactly where you're where you're seated. Um, and, and our fans have, have told us all throughout the year that uh, we want to come more, but we just don't know if we can use our ticket every single game. And so we're, we're trying to listen and address all those things. And at the same time, so as you mentioned, $35 uh, you know, cheap cheaper than a movie or any other mm. type of entertainment you can do with your family. So uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun. And it uh, guarantees if you purchase uh, now, um, you'll have priority access for playoff tickets and a nice discount um, uh, when we have the opportunity to clinch. So that's uh, that's going to be really exciting.
0: 69 points, 12 games left, correct, Matt? As uh, the, the Winnipeg guys look to lock up a playoff spot in second place right now in the East Division, one point ahead of their arch-provincial rivals, the Brandon Weekings. This is exciting. Available right now, winnipegice.ca. A full season access pass. Matt Cockle, he is president and general manager of the Winnipeg Ice. Joining us in studio. Thanks, Matt. Always great to see you.
6: Okay, thanks. Have a great morning.
0: Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, Brett McGarry returns on Monday, enjoying some very much deserved time off. We've been celebrating sport today. Manitoba's Place in the curling world solidified as, if not the capital, one of the hotbeds on the planet for a sport that. Do you think it's gaining in popularity? Loren I
1: think that's a great question. I've been wondering that over the past couple of days given what we've seen on the curling scene with uh, in particular the success of our Manitoba teams and that's actually our question of the day in terms of curling Greg brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. Here's the question. With Manitoba dominating at the World Juniors and a big win at the Scotties last night, we want to know, do you curl? And your options are, yes, I love the game, no, but I would love to try it, and no, not interested.
0: Right now, 25% of you are not interested. The other 75% either love the game or don't curl, but would love to try. So check it out, com. We'd like to get feedback from you. and And I
1: think there's a whole other group in there, too. Which we could have added, no. But I watch it all the time because oh, there is a whole there, sure. there is a whole group of people out there that would say that they're curling huge curling fans, but uh, you know aren't playing the game for a number of reasons. My my grandmother, turning ninety five this year. If curling's on, she's not leaving the house. Now, does she curl? No. But she's loving that game.
0: I'm interested to see how many people were actually watching on television Mm -hmm. last night. I'm sure it's a big number. Now in a morning where sports stories are dominating the headlines, we're hoping to inspire you with a visit with a current pro athlete who is spreading stories designed to excite sports fans and non-sports fans alike. Our next guest. Uh, is sharing his conversations with successful people who discuss the moments that molded them into the people they have become
1: the first voice you're going to hear in this clip is that of one of the most inspiring people you will ever meet michael clemens
0: what a moment this is for me right being with you i am uh, very appreciative thank you
7: michael foy tell us your titles right now felicia george how do you how would you describe yourself wow What's something interesting about me? I don't know. I like, uh, I drive with both my feet.
0: One of the most important things uh, is to learn to enjoy your own company.
7: What you do every day matters more than what you do every once in a while. So to me, consistency is key. I just knew that like, me kind of just, you know, living a regular ordinary life wasn't good enough for me.
0: What was the goal? I wanted to be famous because of the influence that the platform it could give me to help younger people.
7: Helping other people only speeds up your own success. Your best is always good enough, right? But your best
0: should get better. We welcome back to CJOB, a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber star linebacker. Now with the Montreal Alouettes, host of Mwamba Moments, Henok Mwamba. Good morning, Henok.
7: Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you know what, uh, you reached out to me the other day about this and uh seeing you interviewed over the years, uh, you're an inspiring uh young man and uh your football career has obviously uh taking you all over North America. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I just want to ask you, is there anybody like Michael Pinball Clemens?
7: Man, it's it's uh it's it's extremely hard to compare. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those people that I've always admired and, and it's interesting with, with his relationship with myself. It's, uh, you know, I've gotten to know him, um, after, you know, I knew exactly who he was and what he had accomplished when I was starting to enjoy the game, um, and, and, and love and grow in the game. I really started to find out, man, this guy was actually uh, an, an amazing player and an amazing person as well, but it's been amazing. He, uh, I remember him coming to my high school and speaking way before I even had started playing football and uh, um, that was my first kind of interaction with him with the anti-bullying program he came to introduce at my school
1: we talk a lot about people who exude joy on this show and pinball Clemens, if you meet him or you even just watch him speak, he's got that smile. You're instantly drawn to him. He's just one of many people you're interviewing, uh, on your show. You've got an Olympian, you've got London Brown, the actor, you've got entrepreneurs and CEOs. What made you want to do this? What, what made you want to put this together?
7: Wow. Um, it's- it's just really my journey, um kinda of observing. I've always been interested in storytelling. I, I do a lot of motivational speaking myself. I've you know gone to speak at schools, churches you know, prisons, um, corporations as well. And and I speak on the things that I know and the things that I've experienced over my career and the things that I've learned within the game of football as well that are uh, extremely beneficial to, to anyone. Um, things like discipline, things like, um, you know, communication, teamwork, and things of that nature. And it, it's always been amazing, uh, really, and overcoming obstacles. And I remember sitting in the locker room and in one of the locker rooms, and I've played in, like you guys mentioned, on multiple teams over my career. It's going to be 10 year actually this coming mm-hmm. season uh, for me. And I've been on multiple teams in the CFL and the NFL, and, and and something. One of the things that I've realized is that you know it's almost like it's impossible for you to reach a high level. Um, unless you have overcome a lot of of, of trials and and, and things in your life. And so um, I remember sitting down and and obviously knowing the teammates that I've been around, I was like, man, you know what? These guys really need to share their stories. As much as I speak about my story and my journey, it's very unique. But the more you share, um, the more you can encourage the next person, whether you're a fan, whether you're a teammate, whether you're a family member, to overcome whatever situation they might be going uh, through. And at the end of the day, we're all going through things, and um, it's very encouraging to see a person next to you um, overcome or in what way they had overcome their situation. I think it's just um, the, the encouragement that comes from that that um, kind of inspired me to um, to be able to share not just my story but the people that, um, that I've met and sat down with.
0: Enoch Mwamba is our guest of course he was drafted first overall by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, almost a decade ago now hard to believe Uh, played for the Blue Bombers 2011 to 2013 uh, with the Alouettes in 2015 Saskatchewan we won't talk about your time with the Rough Riders (laughs) Enoch and of course the defending most outstanding Canadian uh, in the CFL uh, back with the Montreal Alouettes for the last couple seasons but I I purposefully uh, left out stints with the Dallas Cowboys and Indianapolis Colts. Because I wanted to ask you about your time in the NFL. A Canadian kid uh, being pursued, signed to contracts by two different teams. What did you learn during your time in the National Football League that maybe you didn't anticipate learning about yourself?
7: Man, that's a really, really, really good question. Um, going to the NFL for, uh, initially, first of all, it, it was uh, I learned that I was mentally tough. One of the main things, and and a lot of people you know, think that, um, you know, football is a physical game, which it is. Um, you have to be extremely strong and you have to work out really hard, which you do, you know, to, to succeed at a high level. However, um, the, just the mental process that took for me to even make it there or to get there was 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 really astronomical. I remember um, there's so many things that you you have no control over. And so you do everything that you can control, which is a concept that a lot of football players are very, you know, used to. Um, So you do everything that you can do. Uh, everything that you can control, and I had done that. And I remember there was just a point where you just have to wait and 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 uh, figure out. Okay, well, am I going to get this call? And uh, if that call comes, um, is that opportunity going to come? And is that opportun- when that opportunity comes, is that the best one? And then once the first call came after a, a long time of waiting, so I learned about my mental toughness. I learned about you know the patience that I that I needed, and I developed it even more because um, again I had to wait and be really – I couldn't do a lot. And so um, after the first call came, I remember – you know, a bunch of them came afterwards, and so after the next ones actually came, now it was a matter of okay, now you have a, a few options. Enoch. know, what, what are you going to do, and which one are you going to pick? So now I had to literally sit down and and and, and look at rosters and talk about uh, talk to other individuals about, hey, what do you think is my best fit? What are my attributes that will complement which team? Because it's it's such a it, it, it's it's a different kind of thing. You can't just pick, hey, this is my favorite team, and I love this team. I've always loved this team. This is where I want to go play. Um, it's so much deeper than that. And so I took my time studying and, and, and uh, preparing, and I chose in Indianapolis at the time, and uh, I, I absolutely loved my time there.
1: Lots to learn from that experience. It's it's in part about um, waiting for the call, and then once you get it, you have to have the patience to have that call come, and then you have to have the patience to work through all your choices. And so so many conflicting emotions in those months and years as you work towards that goal, Hinok,
7: Absolutely, absolutely. And while you're waiting and while you're uh, kind of studying, you have to still be at your peak, Mm -hmm. and you still have to be physically uh, training to be at your best once you actually step foot into whichever facility that, you know, you get your opportunity at. So it, it's definitely um, a, a challenging experience, but it, it makes you stronger. It makes you better.
0: So you mentioned something about controlling certain things. And we just got about a 90 seconds left here. He knock. In fact, Jeff Forche looking at me going, you, you were, you had 90 seconds 2 minutes ago <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the idea of controlling the controllables in one le- in one's life that that goes across whatever whatever you might be doing for a living whatever you might be dealing with in your day-to-day life
7: absolutely absolutely and and, and that's the thing and so we learn that in football but it's a true thing that can be directly applied to anyone's life and um, once you can control what you can control, you have to literally be at peace with the outcome and the results. And um, after that, you know, you, you got to be uh, confident and as well content with, um, with what's happening.
0: How can people keep up with you and uh, see the extended versions of the videos that go with the audio we played?
7: Thank you so much. I'm, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be launching the uh, very first officer like you talked about with Michael Pinball Clemens. And then there's some uh, great ones coming up right afterwards. Um, you keep up with me on my social media on Instagram. It's at he underscore who knocks and on uh, Twitter, it's uh, Enoch Mwamba. And also you can always check me out on my website where there's more information about my social media and my project coming down. It's called Mwamba Moments at enochmawamba.com. Thank
0: you so much, guys. Enoch, an absolute pleasure, and uh, always great to catch up you. Uh, thanks for the time, and, and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon.
7: Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.
6: Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think,